I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> it is time. <laughs> Why do we start the Lion King theme? Because um, it's the TikTok sound. But okay. Beth Ann's birthday is next week. E. And her present came two days ago. And I was like, I can't wait till next Friday. So you're going to open it now. Okay. And for those asking, yes, I am turning the 3 Yes. I'm mourning. Yes. As I am, I'll be wearing all black on that day. That's okay. <laughs> Which is just a normal Friday. Correct. I wore black today. I was ahead of the schedule. You did not. I did. You did not. I did. I have been looking for this thing for so long. But, but open it. Because oh. I knew that I got the deluxe edition. Oh. It's got it comes with the it's two discs it's got a little baby 45 with bonus things and then if you open the top oh. hold on if you open this part it's got the other disc and then the oh. lyric booklet oh. Oh. oh my god oh my god i was really hoping you hadn't found it yet and no, i'm like i have been searching everywhere for this i mean i just bought it online album i know i was gonna get around to doing that but i was trying to find it locally first so i can like look at it but holy shit thank you so you're welcome much. i would give you a hug but i'm comfy also we should probably tell people listening what it is oh okay so i have been looking for about six months locally for this album which we have it, exactly two record stores locally so yeah. like there's not a lot of options it's a final record and it's stevie wonder's songs in the key of life the deluxe edition the deluxe edition and for those who listen to our stevie wonder episode it's a double lp plus an ep Yes. And um, I listen to this album, I think, once a month. Like, since we did our Stevie episode, I listen yeah. to this album once a month. So, like, maybe, like, going on a year and a half, two years two now. Two years. And so I've been looking for this, and I have not been able to find it. Discogs. Leah, Leah just rocked my world. And Discogs I love her. Discogs came through. With all my heart. Thank you, friend. You're welcome. I was really hoping you hadn't found it. I could literally almost cry. <laughs> And I just got you a shirt that says Root and Toot. Hey, I'm going to wear that to the Orville Peck concert. <laughs> Literally going to listen to this once everyone leaves. <laughs> so we got to hurry up you. and record two yeah, we episodes. Welcome to Sex Pistols episode. Bye. Thanks for listening <laughs> to Sex Pistols episode. Uh, on that note, I'm Leah. And I'm Beth Ann. And this is Shua Rock You. Where are they getting a dub in a CBS executive meeting? No. Bitch, don't touch my thermostat. <laughs> the ghost be like, pull up before I haunt you. Let me turn down the thermostat. Who is this band? We're on page one, guys. This is Shiwaraku. Do we have any business? Uh, Leave us a review. End of business. Good business. <laughs> meeting, meeting adjourned. I feel like we start these as Robert's rules. Almost like <laughs> call to order. What is the business? No business. All right. Meeting adjourned. We're meeting adjourned. We had no business. It's time for the party afterwards. Yes, absolutely. Let me get a swig. I'm drinking a Irish ale. Might as well do this now. It's an Irish ale. And it is from Ballad Brewing. And I like it. I don't hate it. Disclosure, I'm not drinking because the beer that I... we So, it was nasty. backtrack, we won a six-pack of beer at Trivia last week. Was it just last week? Yeah. And we were like, oh, we'll save these for the podcast. And so, I got one out of the six-pack... And that, I'm not even kidding, that was the one of the worst beers I've ever tasted in my life. Yeah, it, w- it was not good. It was so bad. Um, it, and there's so a reason why it was in a free six-pack. The only other option was a coffee ale, which I feel like is not a good option at 6 p.m. No, so not at all. 
Not at all. I'm just going to drink water. Well, after such heavy episodes <laughs> last month. We're going fun this time. Yeah, we're going fun. Um, and if you're, you've been listening to the show, you know one of the most funniest things to me in this entire world is the punk rock movement of the 70s, the British punk rock movement of the 70s. And it's like not a slight, I'm not laughing at them, but being a hardcore kid into a hardcore adult, it's like laughing at your grandpa when he makes an indecent joke or says the word <laughs> fuck. Like that's the energy mm. we have going on here. So I want you to keep that in mind. Um, and of course, you know me. I never choose the clean and cut ones, do I? So no. there are some trigger warnings. Death slash murder. So this murder? Is, this is a murder pot. Po- we're going to put our murder podcasts uh, hats on for a second. Ooh. And then, of course, drugs. I mean, there's what always else is drugs. I don't even know if that needs to be a trigger warning. No. Eh, but I threw it in there. Let's talk about how the Sex Pistols got started. And usually at this point, we go over each member's life, but there's really not much on their early life, according to Wiki. So we're going to go ahead and just start the story at one point and introduce these cast of blokes as we go along. Blokes. Blokes. So let's start with the band called The Strands. This is the, quote, band before the band situation and consists of Steve Jones, future guitarist, Glenn Matlock, future bassist, and Paul Cook, future drummer, and a bloke by the name of Wally Nightingale, which I love that name. That's a great name. He's just there, though. He's not going to last long. Uh, The band was formed between Jones and Cook while they were skipping class together. Great Um, start. Solid foundations. Now, I believe up to this point, like, Steve Jones has had a little bit of a rough patch in his life, meaning he had 14 crime convictions against him. Wait, how old is he? He's probably like 18. Good God. 17 or 18 at this point. And further, like I know that I know some of them, but I would guess an overwhelming majority was for stealing. I don't know why these rock and roll dudes steal stupid shit. Britain, why do your youth steal so many things? Ozzy Osbourne stole a TV like he thought he could fucking stuff that down his pants and go out the door. Uh, and then Nikki Six. Well, he's not British. Here but- in the States. He stole a bass guitar. And then he couldn't even play it. Yeah, he couldn't even play it. Um, anyway, I don't know when that occurred. Um, but I do know Glenn Matlock and Sneaky Steve stole their instruments that they would play in the Sex Pistols. As you should if you're going to be a punk rock band. I can't think of a better way. Like, either you pay five bucks from it for a friend or you steal it from a major store. Nothing That's just says, how it works. fuck the system, like stealing a guitar <laughs> and starting a band. <laughs> The roots. The roots are there. <laughs> so after that band defuncts, and by defunct, I mean they kick Wally out, uh, the band decides to audition a new singer at a shop Glenn worked for. And that store is called Sex. Capital ah. S-E-X. Were I, they in Essex or Middlesex? Or? N- no. Just, why the fuck is it called Sex? Well, for sex. Oh, is it a sex shop? It, in a way. It's a it's like bondage apparel, but we'll get into okay. that. Okay. So a little history about this store, because it is like a pretty monumental store in the British punk scene. Mm-hmm. Um, it first started as a stand behind a place called Paradise Garage, where they sold <laughs> rock records and memorabilia. And they, according to Wiki, it's like that they found, but I'm going to put loose definitions around it found. It fell off a truck. <laughs> it happened to fall out of a grandma's house. So in 1971, Malcolm McLaren, who you'll hear about, took over Paradise Garage and named it Let It Rock, selling rock 
memorabilia, keeping with the trend. Then in 1973, they changed it to Too Fast to Live, Too Young to Die. That's the title of a Fast and Furious movie. It's a James Bond movie is what it is. <laughs> James Bond 007, Too Fast to Live, Too Young to Die. Uh, but then that one doesn't year- fit well on your receipt. No, it does not. Because one year later, also in the spirit of James Bond, they changed the shop name to Sex. Mm. All capitalized. Sex. So you got to say it like that. Um, so this store started selling rock apparel. But when it came sex, it became selling fetish and bondage apparel. Um, what I would expect from a store called Sex. Yes. Yes. Because it would be weird if they were selling like records. Records. It wouldn't be that weird. No, it'd still be weird. Yeah, it would. Um, but if you go back to the Billy Idol episode, we know the punk scene is very much into this look. And we'll talk about Billy Idol a little bit in this episode. They kept the bondage industry afloat. Yes. <laughs> they were worried after <laughs> after the 60s. Were they going to make it? <laughs> Don't worry. Punk and is here to save you. Business is a booming. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I would argue like British punk started at this shop because that's where sex pistols are mm-hmm. and sex pistols i would also argue sorry british rock punk rock i should say anyway like i mentioned the dude behind this is malcolm mclaren and steve jones while wally was still in the band asked malcolm to manage them he manages a sex store and they just go be our manager hey he has a resume that includes management that's, that's all true he needs. that's what that's it um, th- those are transferable skills, <laughs> <laughs> but then like he left for a little bit and went to manage the New York dolls. Okay. So he went to New York and then came back and managed sex pistols again or the strands at this point. Um, and the, sh- and sex pistols and New York dolls, like they had like kind of a partnership in a way. Um, they were friends because of that connection. So originally the band was called after they decided to, Nick Strams, QT Jones, and his Sex Pistols. Ew. And this was assuming that Steve Jones would take lead vocals, which he very much did not want to do. Um, that name came from a former sex employee who put that on a shirt. <laughs> Merchandising. Merchandise. Also, this store, man, it does have shirts, but it's like literally Karl Marx and like random... <laughs> do you want your do you want your straps or do you want him want an anarchist sure you're gonna do both it's a one-stop shop what (laughs) all you need it's like walmart for punks all you need to overthrow the government (laughs) anyway so pretty much you know how some corporations will form a band or a group with the intent of publicizing their band and I want you Sex Pistol fans who are raging right now, just hear me out because I think this is interesting. But the band is called Sex Pistols in a shop called Sex, which is managed by the owner. And I'm not drawing lines. I'm just saying, don't shoot the messenger here. It feels a little bit corporate. Mm. It feels a little corporate. I'm just going to say my piece. It's an inside job. It, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in 1975 the band moves forward with auditioning a singer since um, Steve Jones does not want to take that role. Guess how they let people know that there's open auditions? The newspaper. No, even better. So according to Matlock, quote, everyone had long hair then 
even the milkman. So what we used to do was if someone had short hair, we would stop them in the street and ask if they fancied themselves as a singer. (laughs) I'm sorry, what? (laughs) Yes. Yes. You're just harassing people on the street. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, my God. And um, but le- now it's time to introduce Johnny Lydon. And Johnny Lydon happens to have short green hair. Check. That's a good start. He also is wearing a Pink Floyd shirt, but not just any Pink Floyd shirt. Above the name Pink Floyd were the words I hate. <laughs> <laughs> and the shirt was held together with like safety pins. Of course. And the eyes on the shirt were scratched out. So this uh, a person spotted him, I believe, who was part of the search committee and convinces Johnny to meet with Jones and Cook at the pub. Um, Jones describes upon meeting Johnny that he was, quote, a real arsehole, but smart. Sounds it, like a great guy. That's really all you need to know about Johnny Lydon. Um, then they went back to sex where Johnny improvised Alice Cooper's I'm 18. Like they played it on a on a record and he just sings it to it you do what you gotta do now johnny said up to that point he had not really sung before and when he was young they when he was in school they tried to get him to sing in the catholic school choir but lucky luckily and this is johnny's words not mine the priest died the next day so he dodged a bullet oh okay yeah that's one way to get out of it Anyway, so this is important because when he finished, everyone laughs at him. Aww. But then McLaren comes in and says, you should keep him. Aww. So, if, and also, if you're wondering why he's called Johnny Rotten, it's a title Steve Jones gave to him after uh, saying Johnny had bad hygiene. Ew. Yeah. So, that's why he's Johnny I think Rotten. I preferred not knowing that, so thank you. Well, it's in there. It's going to be asked. Why is he called Johnny mm. Ron? I can't just skirt around the question. Mm. So the band starts rehearsing and things are going bad. And it's for a few reasons. They're fighting. This will be a trend through the whole band. Uh, Paul Cook is getting disgruntled. And in his disgruntledness, he suggests that Steve Jones is not a good lead guitarist. And this leads to the band putting an ad in the paper with qualifications of one, not older than 20, two, must be at least as good as the guitarist from New York Dolls. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. That's very specific, but okay. Yes. Uh, They grabbed someone for a bit, but they left shortly after. Reason number two, things aren't going well. They just didn't know enough about music at that point. Um, Johnny Rotten said in an interview in regards to early rehearsals, um, he said like he would just be like, why are these dudes fucking off and not putting their heart into it? The reality is no one knows what they are doing. The band would just play on these stolen instruments, two and a half notes and write a song because that's all they could manage. It's fascinating to me because this would become a defining factor of punk. Yeah. Two or three chords. That's it. We also could have a sidebar. Why do white men play two chords, but women have to write a sonata and then maybe they'll consider them talented. This is a very good question. I'm just saying. Got to point it out. But let's talk about their first gig. They start playing with a pub rock band called Bazooka Joe. Um, Like the bubble gum? (laughs) Like the bubble gum, but with Joe. Like if Joe Biden was chewing bazooka. Yeah. That's what I would call it. Bazooka Joe. Um, 
And that band let Sex Pistols borrow their amps and kit. That show, by all accounts, was a disaster. They did three covers. The audience said their music was terrible and too loud. And then the equipment they were borrowing from Bazooka Joe got trashed somehow, which led to a fight on stage. <laughs> Sounds like a great show. I don't see what the problem yeah, is. Yeah, this is, a, this is entertainment, personally. This is how I like to spend my Friday nights. Um, but this is like the origin story, so to speak, of punk. Yes. And because they, uh, after that, they begin to play the college circuit. And they start attracting other punk ethos people. Ooh. And some of those people include members of Clash. Uh, Joe Strummer starts hanging out a little bit. Billy Idol starts noticing. And he would go to start Generation X, which we'll talk about mm-hmm. later. And then they also started attracting attention for the stupid antics they did on stage. Like they would throw chairs and people across the stage. Just eating people. Stuff like that. Um, in their first interview the band ever had, they claimed, actually, we're not into music. We're into chaos. <laughs> I want that on a t-shirt. I'm not into music. I'm into chaos. <laughs> they had similar like shirts that said cash for chaos. No, I want exactly things like that. <laughs> I'm not into music. I'm into chaos. <laughs> well, chaos can get you banned. <laughs> and they got banned at quite a few places. Not surprised. Um, Feist would just break out at these shows and like Johnny Rotten and Glenn McLaren were like, fuck it. Let's go in the pit and would just start throwing punches. Like members would start the fight like of the audience and they're like all right and just start punching so <laughs> this is the, how mosh pits were say, born it's the first mosh pit it's the first mosh pit um and w- while they're performing and all these punches happening the band is also actually recording demos which brings up an interesting story there is a producer named chris betting he was an english session guitarist and producer who has done like great work with artists such as ellen john tom waits Art Garfunkel of Simon and Garfunkel. I'm bringing him in here not to only praise his producing and musicianship, but this dude was also part of a band called the Wumbles. Great name. I'm sure our UK fans know who the Wumbles are, but let me bring my US audience up to speed. Take Chuck E. Cheese animatronic band. Oh, God. Then cross them with like a sheep and aardvark looking motherfucker Give him a drum set, a saxophone, a Flying V Gibson, and you have the Wumbles. Okay. And Chris Spending was the Flying V guitar playing dude. But back to those demos. Um, This is where they start recording like their most popular songs. Pretty Vankant, Anarchy in the USA, which has the lyric, it's I am an antichrist and I am an anarchist. (laughs) That's the opening line. (laughs) Sounds like a great way uh, to oh, cause chaos in America. I love it. So as they're recording these demos, and we an- anarchy in the UK is starts to get the spotlight. So take those lyrics and that energy to destroy. Let's go ahead and put them on a TV show. Why not? Sounds great. Nothing will go wrong. The band plays anarchy in the UK. They're only supposed to play one song. Then they play another song. Then they play another song. And then the control room starts freaking out. <laughs> Because they just won't stop playing. I see nothing wrong here. And then shortly after taping this, there is this event called the 100 Club Punk Special. This event is really regarded as like the catalyst event for British punk and brought like the movement from its very big origin underground to a little bit more mainstream. It featured eight unsigned bands. Um, Sex Pistols, The Clash, 
which we talk about. Suicy and the Banshees. Buzzcocks. Susie and the Banshees. Susie, thank you. It's spelled very strangely, but I, it's I knew I was going to mispronounce <laughs> it, so I'm glad you caught it. The Damned, Chris Spedding and the Vibrators. <laughs> it's a great name. Subway Sect and Stinky Toys. Terrible name. Hor- horrible. But also interesting to note, actually, forget I said that. I, I'm talking about it later. So shortly after this performance, they oddly get signed to EMI Records. Okay. So they reach out to them. They get signed on October 8th, 1976. And that's when they begin to take their old demos and start re-recording them. Which in a weird twist of fate, the producer of Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon mm-hmm. is brought in. <laughs> I hate Pink <laughs> Floyd. Okay. Here's, here's the producer of it. But yeah, their first single, of course. Anarchy in the UK. There's a bit of like discourse around this, but many consider it like the first British punk track ever to hit mainstream. Um, and you remember, as we covered in our Clash episode, pub rock led to British punk rock. So this is the first time we're seeing an actual true punk rock song without the influence of pub rock getting mixed in there. While they're promoting the song, they surprisingly get asked to be on other shows. And I would like to introduce a group that I that have been in the background up to this point. It's called the Bromley Contingent. Did you talk about them in your... Uh, it sounds familiar. Because I know Billy Idol is a part of this. Yeah. But it's a group of fans that basically like follow Sex Pistols and support yes, them at their shows. Yes, a part of this. Yes. And then they would also wear their bondage attire yes, that they picked yes. up from sex, which we also, which I know we talked about in Billy Idol. The group consisted of... Um, Susie from the Banshees was yeah, there. Yeah, Susie and the Banshees. It, it was all these people who would go on to start their own bands. So Billy Idol will start Generation X and Susie Sue, like we mentioned. Would, Susie Sue would go start something. But this is where they start coming to the forefront. There is a show called, or was called, The Today Program with Bill Grundy. And on this show, Sex Pistols bring their crew with them. Well, the interview for that time was one of the most scandalous things in British television. There is this exchange. And first, I watched the clip. And it's kind of already a little awkward. Like, Bill Grundy already establishes that he's drunk (laughs) on it. Which, I don't know why you openly admit it. But he said, like, the Sex Pistols were more drunk than me. So there's already kind of a little (laughs) tension. Um... And Bill was like asking about the record label money and Steve Jones goes, we fucking spent it. And like I said, because Bill Gandhi's drunk, he, d- he doesn't even hear it. Oh, he okay. just keeps going. He just keeps going. But then um, Johnny says shit under his breath by accident. Bill does catch that and asks him to repeat it, which of course Johnny is going to do. Then Susie Sue interrupts to kind of pull away from that like awkwardness to say, I've always wanted to meet you. And Bill says, did you really? We'll meet afterwards, I'm sure. Ew. This pisses off Steve Jones. As it should. And he goes down a trail of words directed at Grundy, all of which Grundy instigates out of him. The list goes as follow. Oh, yes. <laughs> you dirty sod. You dirty old man. You dirty bastard. You dirty fucker. <laughs> all accurate. <laughs> The press went after Sex Pistols and the headlines from this event read, who are these punks? 
They're I, punks. I love it. I, I love don't know it what so else much. to tell you. Like they're punks. But of course, there is no such thing as bad press. The band begins to blow up on the radar, and Steve Jones says this is the beginning of the end for the band. He would say that later on, of course. So after this appearance, the band goes on a headline tour that features the Clash and the Heartbreakers. Because of the press coverage, they were boycotted by preachers outside of their show. Nothing has changed. <laughs> but because it's causing a bunch of chaos, because like these preachers were like, this is the most evil thing, and you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, so EMI drops them because it's like, this is way too much like we don't want to be we don't want to be associated with this but that wasn't the worst part because in early 1977 it was announced that glenn matlock was leaving the band the reason and malcolm mclaren their manager crafted this the band claimed it was because he liked the beatles is the reason he got kicked out of the band that's a dumb reason (laughs) If you're going to like lie about it, come up with a better lie. It, well, the true reason is they're fighting. And the yeah. rumor is we're going to talk about a song called God Save the Queen. And he didn't like those lyrics. He thought they were way too over the line. So as Glenn Matlock is leaving, it leads us to the path of an individual called Sid Vicious. Mm. Brief bio about him. Sid started in the punk scene by attending Sex Pistol show. In fact, one they got kicked out of um, called the Nashville because um, a fight broke out. Sid is in the audience for it. And that just like blew up his mind. He's like, whoa. And he just becomes one, the biggest Sex Pistols fan. He, he like self-declared, I am the biggest Sex Pistols fan. But after that performance, he goes and starts his own band called The Flowers of Romance, which featured the former members of The Clash, Kevin Levine, Viv Albertine, who would go on to join the Slits. Mm. Do you remember us talking about the Slits in the Clash yeah. episode? Because I'm talking about it again. <laughs> the lead singer of the Slits is Ari Up. Ari Up's mother is Nora Forster. She also dated Chris Benning, which is a new addition to the story. But she also would go on to marry Johnny Rotten in 1979. And there is a seven-age... Uh, seven year age gap between Johnny Rotten and Ari Up. I don't know. It's a weird detail to me. I mean, it depends on how old they were, but I think anything over five is suspicious. Yeah, yeah I agree. Well, her, I think it was like a 20 or 30 year gap or something like that. What? Like between Ari Up's mom and Johnny. Oh. But then like Ari Up and Johnny are practically the same age. Oh, okay. Like they're seven years apart. Anyway, uh, Sid joins, was in that group for a while. Then he went to go play drums for Susie and the Banshees for the 100 Club performance that we talked about, that big event. And while there, he went to go see The Damned, which also was covered in the Clash episode. He was, of course, high and drunk and started throwing bottles at the stage, trying to hit the lead singer. He missed, but he did hit someone. He hit a lady and blinded her in the eye permanently. Oh, shit. In one eye, of course. So she still has got one. He was shortly arrested after that. Yeah. But yet the band was like, that's punk. (laughs) And they brought him on as a bassist. So Sid has the look for sure. 
but he does not have the sound nailed down like at all and considering punk is only two chords it's saying something it's not hard um but because he had the look the press flocks to him and many cited that were around that situation that it began to stop being about the music and started being about sensationalism, mm. which I would argue when it was at Bill Grundy, that's when it started really becoming yeah. about sensationalism. I think it was way earlier than they think it was. Worth noting is a press event slash campaign that went into total chaos, as it would. Um, the band wrote a song called God Save the Queen. As you can imagine, it is not a flattering song. They signed with a record label called A&M Records, and they did a mock signing outside of Buckingham Palace. The band went back to the record label's office. Sid, like, broke a toilet. I don't know why. Or and how? then made his foot bleed, so he just, like, walked around the office with a bleeding foot. Which also, like, how did he make his foot bleed if he's wearing shoes? Was he not wearing shoes? I don't know the answer to that. Um, Johnny harassed the staff. Like I said, arsehole but smart. And Steve Jones was, like, doing something in a bathroom with a woman. I don't really know. Use your imagination. Yes. Um, the label's pissed and just, like, immediately drops him. I mean, that's fair. And then they already had a press pressing, like, it was, like, 10,000 of God Save the Queen single. And they just go ahead and, like, burn them. Like, that's how mad they are oh, about shit. this. Yeah. But Virgin Records, Mr. Richard Branson... Picks him up shortly after. He was like, I like that one. Yes. As well as the God Save the Queen campaign. This time, the the band plans to sail the River Thames while performing the song. And the time they've chosen to do it is the Queen's Silver Jubilee. Oh. <laughs> which Johnny says he had no clue that's what was happening that weekend. Um, also, before anyone writes us, it's Thames. What did I say? Thames? Yeah. Well, you know I'm going to say it. <laughs> you know I'm going to say it wrong. If it's a complex word, I got a three out of ten chance of saying it right. Um, as you can imagine, the British police were like, hell no. Yeah. Bloody hell no. And they didn't even let the boat that they were going to play on make it out of the deck. That's probably like, a wise choice. They barricaded the men and then arrested <laughs> the band and crew members i don't blame them. johnny ron says i literally got arrested for having fun <laughs> like, like, that's how a lot of people get arrested though yes yes but it's still sold 150,000 copies so yeah like i said there's no it, such thing as bad it press. so now we're at the spring of 1977 and the band is working on their album which would be their only album but we'll get to that later Originally, it was going to be called God Save the Sex Pistols, <laughs> but it was working under the title Never Mind the Bollocks. This name would eventually stick and the album would be called Never Mind the Bollocks. Here's the Sex Pistols. Uh, Johnny Rotten thought this name was the most hilarious thing he's ever heard <laughs> in his life. So McLaren said his only advice to the band. You know what it's going to be. Take a guess what he told the band. What's his advice? I don't like Pink Floyd. <laughs> Close. Make it chaotic. Oh, I should have known. That's okay. So they very much made the whole process chaotic. So for starters, songs are chaos, but the band was chaos in the studio. You see, there was a band recording next to them called Queen, 
Oh shit! Punks do not like Queen. They no, do not like Queen. Allow me to read this excerpt from Wiki about the exchanges that happened between the two bands. <clears throat> Quote: During this time period, bassist Sid Vicious stumbled into the same room as rock band Queen. Is this when they call him Sid Ferocious? Yes. 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 Vicious aimed an insult to lead singer Freddie Mercury, saying. Have you brought ballet to the masses yet? <laughs> Which is the stupidest insult ever. And Mercury got up and responded, aren't you Simon Ferocious or something? Simon Ferocious. Or something. What are you going to do about it? And then took him by the collar and threw him out of the room. As he should. Later, Queen's producer, Roy Thomas Baker, had a word with the Pistols engineer over an interruption by an awestruck Johnny Rotten saying, one of the band members just crawled on all fours <laughs> across our studio up to the side of the piano and said, hello, Freddie, and left on all fours. <laughs> Can you make sure he doesn't do it again? <laughs> it's so funny. Anyway, so... Those are two <laughs> historical events that happened. <laughs> so along with this like nonsense tornado that's happening in the studio, there's also the issue of Sid Vicious <laughs> bass playing. Because on the album, he's only credited on two songs. <laughs> and his bass playing is what is considered by the band incompetent. So Steve Jones has to play all the bass parts. <laughs> like they're literally just keeping this dude for the punk aesthetic and to throw insults at Freddie Mercury and crawl on all, all fours. They say they don't know who the band member was. We all know who we, the band member we, was. We have a good guess. Yeah, we have a very educated <laughs> guess on this I'm one. Just, the mental image is just <laughs> killing me. How did he get around the rest of the band as well? I would like to know. I, I bet the other three were just like, I want to see what happens. Yeah, you you know Brian May saying shit. He's just like, he's, uh, he's, he's like, no, let's play it out. We're going to see how this goes. When it was time to press the record and get it on the shelves, guess what happened? No record store wanted to stock it. Wow. Part of the reason was for the band's reputation, but another part was for the word bollocks, <laughs> which is considered a bad word <laughs> during that issue? time. The it went to a point where the police of England were determined to make an example out of them. And while they were like doing the coming soon advertising um, posters, Virgin Records was approached by the police and said bollocks was a violation of the 1899 Indecent Advertisement Act. <laughs> and when the album was released, one Virgin Records store displayed the sleeve without any censorship. And the police came and arrested. This is that all because manager. Rolling Stones put that zipper on their artwork that yes. one time. <laughs> yes. You started this, Rolling Stones. And. This leads to this big court case, Roe v. Wade level, I'd imagine, Jeez. against the Sex Pistols, where they had to debate if bollocks was a bad word. <laughs> so the Sex Pistols defense brought in a professor, and that professor said bollocks is actually derived from a medieval term used for priest. And then Wait, the, what? That, that's what he says. And the police defense brings in a priest... <laughs> <laughs> and that 
That priest says, bollocks was a word originally used in the Bible for testicles, but the King James Bible replaced it with stones. Upon hearing this, Johnny Rotten said, don't worry, if we lose this court case, we can rename the album Nevermind the Stones. Here's the sex pistols. (laughs) (laughs) That did not happen because the band won that case. As they should have. Man, um, this is just wild. This band like took England and like (laughs) shook it at its core. They just were a (laughs) chaos tornado. Yes. A nonsense chaos tornado. Despite all this, the band sold 125,000 copies in its first week and went gold a few weeks after that. The album over time has been regarded as like one of the best punk albums and has ranked on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums. So now it's January 1978 and the band is on its way to America to tour the album. Believe it or not, this tour did not go well. So number one. They had trouble receiving visas, considering um some members, <laughs> Sid and Steve, uh, criminal past. That's, yeah. So they had to cancel some shows as a result of it. When they got into America, some of the venues that McLaren booked were redneck bars, <laughs> which he did on purpose to create a hostile environment. Hey, if you want to fight at your show, that's a great way to get a fight at your show. It's like the scene from SpongeBob, the movie, where they go into... <laughs> to the bar yeah the bar in there <laughs> and they're in their goofy goober outfits yes that's them but the opposite yes that, that's what i imagine and then there's sid vicious remember he's just there for aesthetic he's also fully addicted to heroin so that doesn't help things so he's just getting into fights left and right he's hitting people people are coming on stage and hitting him it's a mess with all of these antics the band tension is at an all-time high. And Paul Cook and Steve Jones hate Johnny and Sid. Sid, for obvious reasons, fame went to Johnny's head. And this led to one of their last shows, where Johnny Rotten told the crowd, you get one song, and they played a cover from the Stooges. And then he, like, left the stage. Okay. He's like, that's it. And after 18 days in the year, on tour, I don't know how long they, I don't know if they started their tour on January 1, but let's assume 18 days into this tour, the band breaks up, which Rotten announces in New York. At first, the label just tried to go on without Rotten, but it just does not work. The band is done. So what happens to the band after the breakup? Johnny Rotten goes back to being Johnny Lydon and starts another band with Clash founder Ken Levine. Sid Vicious, on the other hand, has a little bit of a sad ending. Um, Sid was dating Nancy Spurgeon for like a year or so, and she, I believe, was the one who introduced him to heroin. Mm. Like I said, he became a full-fledged addict. In October of 1978, um, he had relocated to New York City after after the tour fell apart and the band fell apart. And they're having a party in a hotel room, and he took like 30 pills of something that just like... That's too many pills. Yeah, that's too many. That's too many, which puts him in a comatose state. The next day, Nancy is found dead with stab wounds in her abdomen. Whoa. And Sid is found completely delirious, saying to have killed her. Oh. Now, the knife wounds do, in fact, match a knife Nancy bought for Sid. However, when Sid had come to after his month's uh, huge high moment... 
He said he didn't do it slash didn't remember. There's also some discourse that some people believe the drug dealer actually killed Nancy with Mm. Sid's knife. Unfortunately, we just will never know what happened. But he was arrested and then released on $50,000 bail. After being released, he got into an altercation and smashed a broken beer bottle into someone's face. This led to being arrested again and sent to Rikers. Oh, okay. Yeah. You, you don't want to go to Rikers. No. While in Rikers, they forced him to withdraw. But when he left, he immediately went looking for heroin again. And then on February 2nd, 1979, Sid died from a heroin overdose. Yes, it is. So it's a pretty sad ending. As far as for the band, they do actually have a couple reunions. So they do find a way to tolerate each other. Um, it has to be in 1996. So quite a few, <laughs> close to 20 years after the fact. And the original band, including Glenn Matlock, do reunite for a six-month tour. Um, then the band reunites again for a show that happened to be on the Queen's Golden Jubilee. <laughs> coincidence i think not yeah and then like over the 2000s like the band would tour here and there in 2006 they sold their music rights to universal and in the same year they would be inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame which the band did not take kindly to they had very strong words about being inducted i'm sure they did but as far as for the legacy of this band it's a little bit of a shorter episode because it's only two and a half years this band was around. Um, but we're talking about, like I said, one of the first punk bands ever. Arguably the first British punk band in the UK and just launched an entire uh, genre of punk in that country. And a lot of bands that um, cite the Sex Pistols as their source of inspiration includes Buzzcocks, The Clash, Susie and the Banshees, generation x all the way to bands like nirvana Mm -hmm. um never mind had um supposedly like kurt cobain that was a big influence on that Mm -hmm. i don't remember if i read that or not but in this research it was a big influence on that record but the irony here is while their music was anti-establishment the media brought them to the limelight sensationalize their existence which made them a part of the establishment yes it's how it always goes it's always how it goes so what started out as music turned into aesthetic which is why we see sid vicious with the role in the band to show you how this process extended into the band's timeline mclaren said quote christ if people bought the records for the music this thing would have died a a death long ago (laughs) However, the message is still there in the music. And I think that attitude and angst written lyrics, it just translated into the underground punk movement, mm. both of the 80s and um, both in UK and in America. And then that in America led to grunge, which then led to hardcore, metalcore, and so on and so forth. And that is the Sex Pistols. I was... I knew it was going to be wild, but that was more wild than I anticipated. Yes. I laughed so hard that I sent myself into a coughing fit. (laughs) Part of it may be the pollen that's in the air, but... It could be. Thanks for listening. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Good Pods. 
A special thanks to Jeff Afan for our intro riff. You can visit our website at shiwarocku.com. There you'll find links to our socials, our show notes, ways to contact us, and you can buy our merch. Someone bought some merch today. Shout out to whoever you are. And remember, don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. And don't crawl on all fours into a recording studio. <laughs> <laughs>